Welcome to the Sober Nation FM podcast, where we're putting recovery on the map. I'm your host, Jonathan Sylvester. This show is brought to you by Sobriety Engine. Do you want to take your recovery to the next level? Do you want more support, community, and fellowship? Sobriety Engine is an incredible free online community of men and women supporting each other in their recovery. You can get a ton of great tips, resources, and guidance to help you succeed in recovery and in life. Visit sobrietyengine.com to join today. Sober Nation FM is also brought to you by Recover Health. If you're ready to get fit and start living a healthier lifestyle all while supporting your sobriety, then you can learn more about having me as your own personal fitness and nutrition coach at rcvrhealth.com. And whether you're listening to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or watching on YouTube, please share this with your friends, follow, subscribe, and leave a review. Nation, let's hop right into today's episode. Today, I'll be speaking with Dr. Daniel Hockman. Thanks for coming on the show, Daniel. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Now, one of the main goals of this show is really to help our audience as much as possible in their recovery journey. So I think it makes a lot of sense to have on experts like yourself who work with addicts every single day to really learn more about the different methods to get sober, stay sober, and really live a successful life. Um, I'd like to start off by hearing about how you got into the field of addiction. What was it that really interested you and, and drew you towards this? I love treating people in the addiction space and just the the topic at large, because um, to me, addiction captures really a lot of what it is just to be in this journey of life where we have constant temptations, you know, to, and lures, right, to be, uh, to, to shortcut happiness, to distract ourselves from difficult things, you know, and to go for things that just feel immediately satisfying. Um, it captures a lot of the push and pull in life around, um, you know, stopping ourselves from doing those things, being able to, you know, have the, the tolerance, the testament to do those things. So it captures just so much of the, the human experience that it's, um, it's always fascinated me. Um, I've, of course, like most anyone, you know, had uh, some, you know, very close uh, family, friends, you know, from early on um, affected by it heavily. So, um, you know, there's been a, a lot of very close family that, that I have not gotten to have relationships with, you know, for it and knew that early on. Um, and then the same thing, you know, happened with friends. And so, um, you know, by the time then I became a psychiatrist, I thought, well, I, I actually now have a background and I'm better equipped to understand and treat this stuff. So. Mm. Um, so it sort of unfolded, you know, from there, uh, I won't go through, you know, all the list of things I've done career wise necessarily, but that's sort of how it began. You know, I was just always fascinated with human behavior and addiction is just right at the heart of, of a lot of what we struggle with and, and what motivates us as people. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I like how you said a kind of a shortcut to happiness. I think that makes a, a lot of sense for me. Now, how would you actually define addiction? I define it really as a trained pattern um, where we're, we've learned to escape life's difficult problems um, and feelings. So, so it's uh, really a way of just um, expressing an intolerance for an emotional state. Mm, okay. Um, so I, I view it you know, near entirely you know, as some escape from intolerable emotion. Um, the emotion could be, you know, full-on depression or anxiety, you know, panic attacks, but it might just also be boredom, being angry, upset with things, stuff like that. So, okay. um, so it could be, you know, severe mental illness and it could just be very subtle sorts of things as well, but, but just an intolerance for that state. Yeah, okay, that makes a lot of sense. And And that's broad enough in my mind that, you know, there's this debate a lot of the times I think about like this, you know, that can't be an addiction or that can't be an addiction or no, it's stupid to say that's an addiction. But I think what you're suggesting in my mind is, is it, you know, almost anything that, that I'm reaching out to habitually to escape whatever feeling this is can be considered an addiction to a, to a degree. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair to say, right? I mean, and so it's very clear, right? If you're, you know, 
injecting heroin in yourself, like, you know, and it's very regular. Okay, of course, that's addiction. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we've got the middle grounds, you know, if you're drinking, you know, little too much, or you're addicted, or you, you know, just trying to enjoy the evening. And then, you know, you get further and further down that spectrum to where, you know, well, when you're eating chocolates, you know, and you're eating chocolate every day, is that an addiction? Mm -hmm. And, um, and you do see then, you know, different camps, right? You know, some people are actually offended, you know, that, that, you know, people call certain things addiction. And uh, because it's, it's almost to, to sort of, you know, um, try to put all these different addictions on equal playing fields or something, you know, that's, some sometimes where people come from it's like no no that's not a real addiction mm. no no this is a real addiction you know the thing that could kill you right you know right. the thing that i can overdose on in in a moment's notice mm. you know that's addiction um but uh, but yeah i think it does distract us from you know what's actually happening inside the mind emotionally psychologically yeah. so I, I think it's important to have you know a looser broader definition um, and yeah, you know, then if we're talking about, uh, clinically what we call addiction, that can be a little bit different story. We're not going to clinically diagnose a chocolate addiction. You know, that right. should not be in the diagnostic manual of psychiatry. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm all for having some, some guidelines that, that do cut some things off there. Um, but as far as, you know, lay people trying to understand themselves and gain better control of themselves it's not necessarily helpful to tell them, no, no, that's not an addiction process at all. Um, so yeah, we, we have to be tending to what's actually going on psychologically. Got it. Got it. Now I want to dive in real quick to, uh, that gray area that you were just discussing, you know, our, our audience I think is pretty broad. You know, we have people that are, uh, kind of in that gray area trying to figure out like, is, is this an addiction issue? Like, Maybe they face some consequences. We have people that are new in recovery, people that have been in recovery and, and sober for years, people that maybe have kind of been in and out of recovery. So for someone that might be uh, listening or watching this that is falling into that gray area, what are maybe like if they were coming to you, and I do want to ask you more about your, your practice here in a moment and specifically um, what it is and what you do. But yeah. if someone were to come to you, what are maybe some questions you would ask them or, or have them ask themselves to kind of help determine like, okay, is this a real, uh, a real addiction or a real problem? Or, you know, have you maybe just had some, I, I don't want to play this off, but some bad luck, you know, mm-hmm. and you just went, went a little far uh, a couple times. Yeah. Uh, so I actually am not very concerned at all, you know, in my own practice or, or just in general, as far as what I'd recommend, you know, for how people should think about it. Mm. I, I am not that concerned about whether it's called an addiction or not. Okay. You know, if, if you have problematic use, if mm. it's creating problems for you, um, then that's bad and you should do something to try and help it. Right. That's fair. It, yeah. And so, uh, you know, whether you end up calling that an addiction or, you know, dependence, uh, abuse, you know, whether you call it that or not, doesn't actually change what's what's actually happening, right? I mean, we're talking about actually, you know, the the semantics of labeling something that that's actually already either happening or not, right? Yeah. So, so let's say I have uh, five drinks an evening. Let, let's just, you know, let's pick maybe a or four drinks. You know, we can pick some gray area. I don't okay. care the number, right? So, so I'm having four drinks a night. And we're wondering, you know, well, is this, you know, is this addiction or not? Am I, am I just kicking back at the end of every evening? Um, well, whether I call it addiction or not doesn't change that I am drinking for a night, uh, for four drinks a night. So whether or not that's a problem is something that is regardless of what we call it, right? Now, what I would do in, in my own practice is try to, you know, determine and, and explore with the patient you know, when you drink in the evening, you know, what, what's that about? What's going on? Are you escaping life's problems or, or are you just relaxing? Hmm. It's usually hard, you know, to, to make a case that you're just relaxing every right. single evening, you know, with four drinks. Um, but anyway, that's the sort of thing you'd want to explore. So, um, so I, I'm always much, much more particular, actually, 
than just trying to label things, you know, addiction. And for that matter, I also don't care so much whether I call something, you know, major depressive disorder with a patient either, just to kind of reveal my philosophy on, you know, diagnoses. Um, if you're sad a lot, uh, you may or may not have all the criteria for depression, right? Where you usually need like five criteria over two weeks plus time. Okay. Well, some people will deny a lot of those symptoms and that actually might be a worst case of depression, right? Um, some people with addictions have a lot of problems, but they're all concentrated in one or two criteria and not the other ones. And so yeah. you don't have enough criteria to meet you know, a dependence uh, diagnosis. So, um, so there's obviously technical problems in diagnoses. And I like to remind people, uh, diagnoses are, are really only helpful in limited circumstances. Most of the time, diagnoses are developed for research purposes. So we want to know, okay, what percent of the population um, has alcohol dependence? What percent has other drug dependence? And, you know, what are the relapse rates? We want to know how many of them are seeking treatment? How many of them are white? black, how many are urban, rural, you know, we, we need criteria to measure all those things. So if you don't have criteria, you know, how in the hell are you going to know prevalence or incidence of anything? You're never going to find out if you don't just choose a darn criteria, whether it's perfect or not. So I'm all for diagnostic criteria for certain reasons. If we're going to study, you know, if a medication works or not, we have to know in our studies who are we including in there? You know, we want to know we consistently included the same kinds of people diagnosed with certain kinds of conditions. So okay. diagnoses serve really good purposes. But as far as when you're sitting down doing therapy with someone, it, it doesn't really matter at all, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Got it. That that makes sense to me. I, you know, I think that uh, because to, to spell it out in plain English, I mean, I think what you're saying is a lot of the times is that you know, a, a doctor or professional is speaking with someone and they're kind of checking off boxes, so to speak. Mm. And I may not fit into all those boxes, but that shouldn't kind of dismiss the fact that I'm feeling the way I'm feeling or experiencing what I'm experiencing. Right. And it goes either way, right? I mean, let's just drop some scenarios. I mean, okay. let's say, you know, someone, um, uh, totally, you know, blacks out, binges, you know, terribly a few times a year. Okay, okay. But a few times a year, you know, it's really bad. Maybe, you know, it's so bad that they lose a job, get into car accidents, you know, fall out of relationships, whatever. Okay. Um, that might not meet criteria, you know, for alcohol dependence, because it's just doesn't have the consistency, right, you know, the frequency and the regularity. It doesn't, it doesn't meet time period sorts of things. So, mm -hmm. um, so you're not going to get diagnosed, but Clearly, you've got, you know, something that comes up every once in a while and rears its head. Mm. Whether we call that addiction or not, right, you, you could then fool yourself and say, okay, well, you know, doc said I didn't meet criteria. I'm not an alcoholic. So then, you know, what happens is then, you know, you dismiss the idea that there's a problem and you're less inclined to do something about it because you had some authoritative, you know, figure tell you, no, you don't have this, this thing, you don't have this addiction problem. Um, and then it happens, you know, in the other direction, too. You get people who are then um, sort of overly identify as an addict when, you know, they just barely, barely meet a criteria. Okay, um, yeah. And so it, it, it can go wrong in both directions. Hmm. And that's why, I mean, you always want to know, you know, what's actually going on. And, uh, while I'm not necessarily, you know, all about diagnoses and, and checklists, um, what I am for is being incredibly specific about how one struggles. Mm. So say this person, you know, relapses or not even call it relapse, just drinks very heavily and blacks out, you know, three, five times a year. Okay. Well, they're not addicted. Okay, fine. But what am I for? Uh, I would want to describe with that person, you know, exactly how they struggle. So is it that they struggle with certain triggers? So is it, is it when there's uh, a breakup? Is it when there's, you know, the ex comes back in the life? Is it when someone reminds them of any incompetencies? Is it when their projects don't get respected? Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, is it, you know, it could be, it could be all sorts of things, right? I mean, the, the list goes on right now. Okay. Not only that, okay. It's when, you know, it's when your ex talks to you again, 
well, but you know, why can't you tolerate that feeling? Or you know, why can't you get over it? Okay, well, then we're learning that you have a hard time getting over things. Okay, well, why do you have a hard time getting over things, right? Yeah. So giving you examples for, well, we're nailing down more and more specifically, what is your actual struggle? You know, what is it that you have to overcome? And, um, and so that's the specificity that I always like to help people determine and, and explore is when you discover that, then you actually know what on earth you're even fighting. Okay. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense to me. That makes a lot of sense. Now uh, your program is called self-recovery. Mm -hmm. And so can you describe to us what that is and, and just exactly how it works? Yeah, so the program is designed to help people explore themselves in ways that um, they generally might not even over the course of their whole life. You know, so, um, so a lot of people will uncover um, pockets of what might help them, okay. whether it's a relapse plan, whether it's kind of putting together their social system, you know, to help them or the accountability, things like that. So to me, those are extremely basic. Um, and then some people might access, you know, better help uncovering what's going on for them. Uh, but not very many people really explore and, and master, you know, exactly what's going on in them emotionally and psychologically. Um, so what the program does is it helps people to go through um, in their own privacy, in their own way, um, take on a whole series of concepts. And these concepts are, are all woven together from a bunch of different profound disciplines of psychology. And, and you come out of it totally understanding how you work. And, and so the people that go through it and understand how they work um, are not just then in control of, you know, uh, they're drinking or, you know, they're drug use. They're, they're just in better mastery of their whole psychological experience in life, how they're meeting relationships, whether or not, you know, their ambitions are healthy, um, how far out of their way they go to please people. Uh, if they do, you know, well, where did that come from? Um, is that okay? To what extent do I do that? You know, these are just small examples of, you know, you explore all these things, so you just really know yourself. And so you could imagine by the end, there's really just no surprises you get anymore. Yeah, it's not right. just, you know, okay, you know, you avoid a surprise of a trigger, you know, even if you're triggered, even if you've got, you know, adversity, even if you've got things that piss you off, scare you, you know, right. you, you understand how you work. And so, um, so the program is quite deep, you know, it has, it has the basic things in there as well. Um, but it's, it's meant to take people on a very deep psychological journey. Okay. Got it. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. Kind of, like you said, just digging a little deeper and figuring out to put it really simply exactly what's going on. And, mm -hmm. and so the next time that these problems, if you will, pop up, you can deal with them a little bit better. Um, and, and yeah, that, that sounds like that, that wouldn't just help with uh, you know, the addiction side of things. But I, I think in my mind, that would just lead to a, uh, a healthier and, and probably more successful life, a happier life uh, overall. Absolutely. So what kinds of people use uh, self-recovery and, and who would you say this is really best suited for? Uh, you know, very fortunately, it, it, it's a nice convergence for different kinds of people. So, um, so in the program, um, you know, I, I, I built it and started discovering as I was testing it, as I was sort of getting, you know, some beta users and things like that, um, that the people were finding it for, for very different reasons. Um, you know, so for one, it's less than 1% the cost of rehab. So, you know, some people do just enjoy that it's an actually, you know, affordable way of getting pretty darn complete help um, and, and arguably much better help. Um, so, uh, so one is, you know, just the cost alone, but, uh, you know, also it's fully online and on demand. So uh, there are people that come to it because they just can't take the time out of their life, you know, to, to do more intensive treatment, but yeah. they know they need something, you know, much fuller than, okay. than just reading some books or, or just going to the odd support group. So, um, 
So that includes, you know, maybe a business executive that's too busy, but it also includes, you know, I've got a lot of, um, you know, like single mothers who are you know, working, watching kids, and, and they just, you know, couldn't imagine getting away. And this is the first thing, you know, first real shot they have at, at doing a, a fuller program, um, because you can do it, you know, uh, really at any time, right? Whether that's in the middle of the day, at the end of the day, um, on the weekends, whatever it is. So it's, um, so the fact that it's on demand and online really opens things up for anyone. Um, we're now, um, you know, on, uh, you know, a, a good amount of the globe. So, you know, we've got people in, in uh, countries that you forget exist, uh, you know, and so got, you know, when someone, the first person in uh, Ghana, you know, subscribed and, and enrolled, you know, just, it was this reminder way there, there's people in these corners of the globe that don't have good access to care. Um, and, and now they do, right? I mean, it's, it's the couple clicks of a button and someone in Ghana can now be in a, a very complete science-based psychological program. Yeah. Um, so, so that as well. Um, and then it's also for people that have been through that a lot of people find it after they've relapsed and gone through a bunch of different programs. Okay. And um, as you might know, you know, a lot of what exists is going to be 12 step. Yeah. And the program um, is not 12 step. It's, it's going to be complementary to that sort of thing. So, okay. Um, so for people that have already tried, you know, one or two kinds of approaches, you know, most of what exists is going to be 12 step, or if you're getting therapy, it's going to be cognitive behavioral therapy, mm -hmm. CBT. Um, and so a lot of people just have really never been exposed to other methodologies, other approaches, and they, they just really haven't ever, um, been exposed to, to different kinds of treatments, wh whether that's through an organization groups a therapist or wh whatever the the vehicle would be for a different kind of method uh, they just haven't gotten that and so they they really are looking for something that's new different um gives fuller context maybe you know for how they suffer so okay um yeah and and there's more as well but um yeah you know rural kinds of environments where people just don't have access so that it it's used by all kinds of different uh, scenarios, different kinds of people. Hmm, that's great. That's great. Now you, you just touched on something and, and look, this isn't to uh, bash 12 step programs in, in any way, in part, because, you know, like I mentioned to you before we hopped on, I I'm in one uh, mm -hmm. that that's been my path of recovery along with, with other things. And some of the things you're mentioning and, you know, I've always been told how important it is to keep an open mind. Right. So that that not only I can possibly improve my recovery, but really, uh, I think, improve my life. I think any of us that are kind of closed minded and looking at things from one perspective are, are really just limiting ourselves. Right. So mm -hmm. I, I do want to ask, you know, because I'm always curious to hear about these things. Um, I personally think that even people in a 12 step program should be doing other things if they need it, you know, seeking therapy. Uh, you know, I'm a health and fitness coach. I think that needs to be part of, uh, you know, anyone's treatment program. Uh, what are some of the, the parts or things in 12 step programs that you see as maybe not so helpful or, or possibly, uh, even detrimental to someone's ability to, to get sober, to uh, recover from addiction? Yeah, well, before even looking at any particular things about it, you're sure. actually already talking about, you know, maybe the, you know, the biggest problem I see with it, which is that, you know, people are led to believe, you know, it, it is the way, you know, okay. the, the, the only way. The only and, way, right. Um, and so it is limiting then, right? You know, for, for however much you, you know, commit or dedicate, you know, uh, to, to one method of any kind, right, you know, also in your fitness, um, you, you know, that's you know, that's one minute you're, you're doing that. And it's one minute you're not doing something else, something else that, yeah. that, you know, so when you're working out hard and I don't know, you know, exactly what your regimen is, you look very strong. And so it's, I'm, I'm sure a very strength-based one. Some, there's some lifting in there. <laughs> yeah. <bit. laughs> so, you know, you, you, you probably know, you know, that, you know, people who get really heavy into lifting might not be, be very good at, you know, flexibility and different, you know, sorts of training that open your body up, you know, so a lot of people that work out a lot, 
have you know rounded kind of closed postures and and don't really tend to that stuff and so um so yeah you know a lot of life is about you know not becoming you know too narrow in our approaches so that that's probably actually the biggest problem i see is that people ask around you know they they have an addiction they're wondering if they are something like that and they get slowly exposed to you know different you know um, organization different places different people they could see and most of it's going to be 12 step based um, and so it's not really that i'm opposed to 12 step or anything but um, the same thing would happen in therapy you know if you're just only accessing cbt well you know that's a very logic based form of therapy you're going to really miss out on a lot of how emotions really work which is not logic based at all yeah so um so yeah the biggest problem would be just that that people you know follow that trail and then unfortunately the culture in 12 step can you know then only um, reinforce the idea that you know that's really the best or the only way and so i get a lot of patients who come to me um, not necessarily because you know 12 steps was bad or they don't like it or anything but right. just because they understood there's more to look for or they felt like when they were showing up at those meetings like people were dissuading them you know mm -hmm. from considering anything else so they would dissuade um, therapy that was you know in the mental health realm not by like an lcdc or they would dissuade you know being on a simple antidepressant yeah um, you know and and just sort of discount or dissuade them from doing other things that, that are not necessarily bad for you. Um, just as I wouldn't necessarily dissuade someone from going to a 12 step meeting and getting this important camaraderie there. Um, I'd hope that, you know, it goes the other direction too. That makes sense. That if you need, you know, good therapy, that you're not dissuade from doing that. And, and, it, and there's pockets, right? It depends where you are in the country. Um, I know we're both, you know, here in the South, it, it tends to be a little worse in that regard in the South. Um, but yeah, a lot of patients are, are quite upset about how, um, you know, they, they won't be allowed, you know, in a sober living environment that's 12 step based if, if they're, you know, getting mental health treatment and getting, wow. you know, even just Prozac, right? So, um, so things like that really turn people off. Um, uh, and uh, so, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't like when, you know, anyone's told that, that they've got to only do one thing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that, that's a really great point. You've made some good points. And, and I'll say, look, on the flip side, uh, just like there are, you know, I hate to just frame it as good and bad, but, uh, you know, I will, <laughs> you know, good therapists and, and maybe, uh, oh, sure, sure. you know, not so great therapists. There are definitely, there's a lot of 12 step groups out there and, and yeah. everyone's different. Right. And I've been to meetings that I'm like, or groups where it's like, you hear some of this kind of, I'm, I'm just going to kind of call it old school thinking around, uh, you know, getting help for mental health issues or taking, mm -hmm medication or you know i mean i'll just say like some of the the meetings that i frequent like there are just like individuals that talk about that thing but that, that's not the um that's not the overall mm -hmm. thinking for sure so I, I think that's part of it too and i can see how you know someone new might come into a meeting and they might hear something from one individual and that really frames or this one group is, is saying something and that kind of frames their whole, uh, you know, their whole thinking, you know, I, I do want to, uh, rewind here and go back to, we we're kind of talking about labels earlier. And mm -hmm. this is one of the things that I think about, um, you know, with, uh, with the 12 step stuff, which, which I kind of go back and back and forth on, you know, and I'm curious what your, your thoughts are. I know I looked at your website and was kind of talking about some of the 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 shaming um that, that goes on you know in 12-step programs sometimes and and i don't know if you're saying this but but i i know that from my own thinking and and from what people uh you know other people might think or sometimes the way it's perceived is this kind of constant shaming forever and this label of mm -hmm. i'm an addict right i'm an alcoholic like even though i'm in recovery like this is still yeah. me and I, I think about that, you know, some of my, some of the, 
the uh, the outside 12 step stuff that I'm into kind of tells me like, hey, maybe that's keeping this label forever isn't the best thing. Although in meetings, yeah. I will, you know, I'll, I'll identify as an alcoholic or an addict. T- yeah. t- talk to me about that a little bit and, and just the labeling and kind of this, the shame that, that maybe goes on that maybe isn't so helpful. Yeah, one, well, yeah, what you're speaking to, um, you know, is along the lines of something, you know, I'd, I'd agree is to, you know, should at the very least just give someone some pause. I mean, I'm, I'm glad that you're thinking about that. So, um, and, and that's generally just what's going to be helpful, you know, for a person is just to, to at least be able to openly question things so that even if you decide, well, I want to introduce myself as an alcoholic, um, and we're just talking about even, even just at the meeting, not sure, necessarily sure. out in public. Um, you know, it, it, it should be allowed that you just, you know, question, you know, it, is this good for us guys, you know, and, and that people calmly respond to that and not just, yeah, shame you and make you feel like, well, then you're in denial, you know, right. if you don't want to say, you know, hi, you know, I'm Jonathan and I'm an alcoholic. It's, um, there, there's no science that tells us it's good to identify with illness. You know, it's quite the contrary. Um, generally people do well when they don't identify as ill. Um, is it true that people will have a lifelong battle with their drug of choice, their, you know, alcohol with whatever it is that gets them? Um, yeah, yeah. And, and we don't even have to get into whether, um, there, there, there's a whole lot of science around, you know, whether you really have this biological illness, illness for life or not, but even leaving that alone. Even if you, if we say 100%, we're sure you have this illness your whole life, um, it's still a question of you know whether you should be identifying as that. It's one thing, I, you know. I think anyone has to get the idea that you know part of it's having this humility, right? To say, hey, wait, I I have to always be careful. You know, I'm an alcoholic. I I need to always treat myself like I could relapse and I've got this temptation. You know, so there's a part that's just always serving as this mindful reminder that you know, you've got this part of you that, that you need to be really careful with. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a difference between that and actually identifying as that on a very regular basis. Mm-hmm. So if, if you were, let's take you know, your realm too, let's say you're working with someone who um, you know, is very overweight and then they work out with you, you do a good job with them and they're a good healthy weight now. You wouldn't want them to introduce themselves, even in a, in a group um, that, that's for you know, overweight people. I wouldn't necessarily recommend to that group that they start out by introducing themselves as, you know, hi, I'm Jim, I'm overweight. And, and then here's my story of you know, how I lost weight and, mm. and I'm healthier now. Yeah. Um, you, know, you would say, no, you, you were overweight or you have a tendency to, to overeat or, or binge eat or, you know, you going back to, again, these labels and that's how you're bringing it up, which is, I think, the right framework to use, you know, is it appropriate to be using a label that often and, and forever? Um, it's, it's just a good question. I mean, you're, you're, it's fine to, you can, but you have to understand there isn't, you know, that, that's not for everyone. You know, a lot of people want to be able to work through that. Mm-hmm. Should you at some times have the humility and respect for, for how quickly things can turn and remind yourself that it can go there? Sure, sure. But, you know, to do it regularly and, and forever, that's the part, you know, that, that could certainly be questioned. So yeah, we could play this game with anything, right? I mean, if, sure, if sure. you've been depressed before, or if you've been a really angry person, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't command that person to always introduce themselves, you know, even in, in, in a private circle as, you know, I wouldn't say, hi, I'm, I'm Daniel. I'm, a, I'm angry. I'm, a, I'm an angry person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd I, want to remember that I can get angry. Right, right. But, but that's a different thing. Yeah, yeah. And see, look, I, man, I honestly, I think it's important to have these, these conversations, you know, I mean, um, even one of the like recovery related meditations I was reading the other day talks about the importance of, of asking questions, 
mm-hmm. you know, and, um, and again, I think this is just, these are conversations that should be able, it's not a debate, right? It's a conversation. Mm-hmm. It's, it's again, having an open mind about things. And so, yeah, I, I'm thinking about this, you know, and, and just my own journey with this identification um, and, and we'll just call it a, a label. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, for me, this is what it looks like. And, and in part why what you're saying makes sense. And, and I can personally relate to it is because, you know, initially coming into a 12 step program, it was, um, I'm Jonathan, uh, you know, I'm an alcoholic or or an addict and, um, man, I just need help right now. Like I I am recognizing that this is a problem. And now that I've been around for a few years, um, I, I, identify as that in meetings for me personally i think in part just like i don't know if respect is the right word but i'm just gonna say like out of respect for like the the program right Uh um and and for me now what goes through my mind and i think what you're saying is is that this is like an important part of the internal conversation Mm -hmm. is i'm jonathan i'm an alcoholic or an addict um I, and I'm identifying as being part of this group and I'm saying to myself, I'm part of this group. I'm one of you guys, but that's not me anymore. Like that, that's, that's who I used to be. Like, that's the conversation, um, in my own head. Yes. I need to be like, I'm here because I need to continue to, to treat this. This is what has worked for me. Um, but I'm not that person I was anymore. And I, I'm a big, uh, believer in limiting beliefs too uh-huh, uh-huh. and and how these labels can hold us back it's kind of like within a, a 12-step program one thing i've seen a label i've seen probably work against people is someone that comes in for a long time and they'll introduce themselves almost right off the bat as a uh, a chronic relapser uh-huh. right and it's like so what does that yeah. chronic relapser do right they chronically right you know, relapse. And, and so I can definitely see, uh, both sides of this. And, um, and again, you know, before we even hopped on, I I told you, I was definitely someone that, um, initially in my early years of sobriety and, and being in a 12 step program, I was like, man, this is the only way. And I think my, my thinking has changed on that, but no matter what someone thinks, I think, again, it's, it's about having having an open mind, right? And and being able yeah. to explore different things and figure out what works for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, that, and that's why the first you know biggest problem I have is is just you know when everyone uh, when anyone is ever too rigid, um, and, and things go both ways too, right? So we're talking about the harms and you know the, the limiting nature sometimes of identifying you know forever as ill, but. Um, you also have people in those groups who sort of profess to, to know, you know, and have all the answers mm-hmm. and, and, and maybe, maybe they're, um, you know, they have been relapsing and they don't tell you, right. That happens all the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's actually assume that, you know, that they're actually, you know, completely in recovery and they're being honest about that. Right. Um, you know, just because you've been in recovery and been, you know, perfect about it for, let's say 20 years, you know, it doesn't mean that you necessarily have the answers or that you're healthy. Mm. So, uh, you know, I see people all the time who are, you know, they've tried to convince themselves that they are. Mm. And, you know, I'll I'll, uh, often, you know, see them still just hurting themselves in all kinds of ways. Mm. So, um, and and we could run through a million examples, but I mean, let's just drop a scenario where, you know, someone's you know, completely abstinent, but they're just awful in their relationships. You know, maybe they are mean, uh, maybe they're selfish. Um, you got people in groups. So it, it comes back to then just also another point, you know, that, that people need to be careful about always is you don't know, like you said, you know, who's stepping up in the group and framing it in a certain way, you know, which ones are the loud ones, the quiet ones. And so uh, I can't tell you how many patients I have who um, stop going because they, they don't like being spoken down to by people that mm. just kind of take charge and mm-hmm. don't necessarily have the answers, but, but you know, claim to. Um, there's people they know will be lying. You know, they'll, they'll know their buddy or someone, you know, has been using and then they show up and, and say they're not, right? Mm. 
and that sort of just undermines the spirit of the group. Mm -hmm. um, and like we said, you know, about different views on mental health or being on a medication, um, people will show up and they'll be cheating on, you know, a, a spouse with someone in the group. Mm -hmm. And, and so you can see with this, it's actually, you know, none of those have much to do with 12 step itself, right? right. right? It's yeah. just the members that show up. But what is sort of a 12-step thing is that it's not really governed and there's no uh, real facilitator, right? You, right. Know, you know, you're not getting sort of a qualified facilitator, which is good and bad, right? I mean, I, I do yeah. want to be in groups in my life that aren't so, you know, professional and facilitator-led and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. There's a time and place for that. And then there's also a time and place for, you know, real professional sorts of you know uh, certifications needed and and so on um and you'd want generally you know some mix of both yeah you know? um so people who see you you know you you have a credential and you're able to help people in their fitness um but yeah you can also then ask your buddy well wh what do you eat post-workout you know and, and you're allowed to get a little of both um it's you know I, my patients shouldn't only get better based on you know, what I do with them, they should also get informal benefit from mm -hmm. self-help books or what their Aunt Margie told them. Right, and, right. and that's okay. Um, but, but yeah, and it goes back to the, you know, the biggest premise that that's a problem is when you think it's the only outlet, the only group, the only method, well, then, then you have a problem if you're showing up and then, um, you know, people will, will relapse when they encounter you know, the bad actors in the group um, because they um, they kind of throw in the towel when they see that the the leader they had really believed in, you know, isn't this this authentic leader they thought they were. Yeah. Um, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, uh, you know, part of what I hear you saying and what I'm so glad was pointed out to me uh, early on is, well, if we just go back to the the like checking off the boxes, right? everyone's different. And, and look, people are human too. There are going to be, you know, people that make certain decisions. Uh, they're going to be crappy people everywhere. Yeah. You know? yeah. And uh, they're just those people. Um, but, you know, you mentioned uh, like someone that might go into a group and they don't really like the, you know, they get the feeling that people are talking down to them. You know, I, I had that experience at one point uh, when I was first introduced to, you know, when I basically what it really was, it didn't matter where I went. I, I wasn't where I went. I wasn't ready to get sober, you know, it was yeah. for, for me personally. It didn't matter what I did. Um, but when I went back, you know, I was in such need of, of help that I really appreciated people being direct with me. Mm -hmm. And and that may not, you know, that type of uh you know, conversation may not be helpful to people. It needs to be done in the right, the right way too. Mm -hmm. And, and let's be real. Like, like I said, there are, uh, you know, even my, my friends within, uh, you know, 12 step groups will acknowledge there are sick groups out there mm -hmm. uh, as, as I think, you know, how most people would refer to it. So um, again, not trying to bash, I think it's, you know, it's important to be just like, when someone goes into a 12 step program have to be open-minded. Right. And, and I think, uh, I think what you've said in terms of, Hey, there shouldn't just be one way. We shouldn't just be looking at, at anything. It's just like, this is the only way. Um, I think that's, that's the point here. So I really appreciate you, um, giving some of your, your input, because I think you've made some, uh, you know, some, some good points for sure. Now, as I read through your website, uh, you point out, you know, some of the the flaws, so to speak, in in current treatment models, and uh, maybe what some you know facilities or or professionals are doing. Could you briefly just touch on on a couple of those? Just some of the. I don't think there's any secret, right? Like there mm -hmm. there are some problems um, in the treatment industry, if we want to call it that. What what are some of the main ones that you see? Really, a lot of it uh, stems from just the profit motive, you know, that you get in any high-paying industry. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and you can, you know, trace that and and see 
all kinds of problems in the world, um, you know, stem from that. So um, things are slowly improving, I should say. Um, I, I'm pleasantly surprised by the year that, you know, year by year, we, we do see improvements and better cracking down on this. But I mean, um, yeah, uh, you know, I don't know if the, the audience is, is aware that, you know, there, there are a lot of um, uh, uh, very, very illegal activities going on, you know, with in, in the rehab industry. So um, just to kind of name a, a handful, but, but the list is large, um, rehabs will, will of course be incentivized to get people in the door, right? It's, it's a very high paying thing. So uh, sometimes it's cash pay. Um, most of the time um, it's gonna be, you know, through insurance. Uh, and, and so historically they've done kind of whatever they can to get, they, they call heads in beds, you know, and, and you wouldn't believe the kinds of conversations and emails uh, and meetings that go on. Uh, I've consulted and, and, you know, worked at several rehabs. So, yeah, so if, I, I, if I could just pause, just to fill people in, I mean, some yeah. of the stuff that's going on and some of the stuff I've heard about and has come out more recently is, is just like people even offering uh, people that are struggling drugs and money and cigarettes to come to their, their treatment centers so that the treatment center can charge their insurance essentially. Right. So oh, yeah. crazy, crazy stuff like that. Yeah. There'll be just this poaching going on. You know, people will show up even at 12 step meetings, you know, trying to, to kind of find people mm -hmm. to get admitted. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, they will, they will lie about the presentation or the, you know, that person's scenario to the insurance, you know, to get them admitted. Mm -hmm. um, the patients can sometimes not can legally, but you know, they will sometimes be paid by the rehab to be admitted. And you say, well, why are they going to pay the patient? Because they're going to pay the patient a little bit, and they're going to collect a huge amount from the insurance. Mm -hmm. So you know, the patient who's maybe you know going through a hell of a time is happy to be at a rehab for a little while, especially if they're getting paid. Yeah. And so um, you know, th those are some of the worst cases um it's it's illegal but you know uh, rehabs are paying kickbacks to people that go and find you know uh, people to to get into rehab and you know when you have a profit incentive to do that you wouldn't believe the kinds of things people do you know to get people in the door mm. um also then it becomes you know a little bit toxic when you've got a couple of those people say you know two out of the 20 at the rehab are there for, for just kind of bad reasons. Um, it just kills the group, you know, it kills the atmosphere. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, so there, so there's that, there's the fact that, you know, a lot of people go at a time they're really not interested and, and ready for it, but you know, there's been an intervention. Right. And so or rather than, or... yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes people turn that around and they make the best of it. Um, often they do not. And again, then, you know, they're, they're kind of spoiling the atmosphere in the group for the people that are there, you know, for good reasons. Um, and yeah, a lot of the times there's just no question around, you know, does this person need this level of care or would they be okay in an IOP, yeah, which, right. you know, is like an intensive outpatient program where you'd go for many hours per week, or you're still going home. So, you know, some people absolutely need rehab. They're very legitimate, the rehab's legitimate. You know, and they're there because life is just very dangerous. They're at a very risky period of time in their use. And, you know, and they really do need to be somewhere outside of their regular environment. Um, so that, uh, you know, I hope I, it goes without saying, you know, rehab, 12-step, everything, uh, you know, often has a very, very good place. But we're talking about, you know, still there, there's a good percent of the time it's not going as planned or ideally. So... Uh, yeah, then you got in the door of, of the rehab. And first of all, it's, it's quite expensive. Remember, I mean, you're paying for real estate, you're paying for the food, you're paying for the hospitality, and all the extra admin, you know, so you'll ask someone often, you know, what, what did you really do in there? Like what, what actually happened, you know, over that month or three months, and they've had maybe, you know, in a month, about four or five hours of individual therapy mm -hmm. um you know well they, they could have had that in half a day as an outpatient mm -hmm. somewhere um or they attended groups you know what did you get in the groups well we were watching these videos we talked about this well 
could you have done that, you know, for $10 a group, you know, somewhere else in your city? Um, could you, could you have watched those videos? You know, could there be a curriculum or something you could have worked through on your own? Now, does it help to have all that extra accountability and the group and everything? Yeah, again, for some people, that's the absolute best thing and they need that. Um, but a lot of the times, like I said, it's, it's not questioned. It's just, you know, rehab's good. If you have the money, go. And, and there's not really much question as to whether they need that level of care. But yeah, if you go get that level of care, you, you know, you sure as hell want the best level of care. You know, you, you should be getting more than one hour of therapy individually a week. Um, and seen by a psychiatrist as well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, a lot of times you just go and, and, you know, the atmosphere isn't so good. There's, there's people who don't want to be there. There's, there's not that individual attention. And, uh, and so if you're in a handful of groups a day, well then again, ask yourself, you know, could, could you get those in other ways? Hmm. Um, and then, yeah, there's other things, you know, there, there's, you know, they'll collect urines and things like that to just you know, run up your insurance bill yeah, when yeah. there's really no need for it. Um, they'll try to convince you to stay for much longer than, you know, might be necessary. Um, so, so all sorts of things. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. So, and, and so I just want to look at the flip side of this and not, uh, you know, not to just look at the exact opposite of what you've just said about, you know, cost and everything, but if there were just maybe a couple of, of, main changes if you could say okay like here's what we're going to start doing tomorrow um you know to to kind of fix all of this up mm -hmm. um and and really uh, again like this is all about making the the success rate better right i mean yeah. that that should be the real goal and i mean look like it, it's it is a business at the same time like it does suck to just be honest about the profit motive is is there in the sense mm -hmm. that when these people relapse, um, you know, some places almost want that because then they can make more money, right? Mm -hmm. So, so what are some of the changes that you would put in place, or do you think need to be made to really uh, uh, allow this um, this success rate to go up? I think being very clear upfront about exactly what's being offered, you know, not just vague language about, you know, yeah. that you're going to recover and you'll heal and some magical place, but, you know, mm -hmm. really being specific. So, um, you know, showing them what, what the curriculum is, you know, what, um, what kinds of concepts they're going to be introduced to, what are the actual therapeutic modalities um, and, and, you know, get into the, the details. So, you know, what you're getting before, because, can't tell you how many people show up and they were told it's going to be a private room. They were told it's going to be, you know, healthy meals, but it's sloppy Joe's. And they were right, told, right. you know, they're going to get individual attention, but it was four hours over the whole month and all that stuff. So a lot of the times it's, it's just that kind of, you know, not outright trickery, but just sort of the vague, you know, they, they're on the admissions call and it just kind of got a lot of yeses. And, and then the intervention, you know, was there and it just, all forces are just kind of, you know, pulling to, to, you know, just go because you don't want to look like you're questioning everything, right? You know, everybody's upset that you've been, you know, drinking yourself silly. And so, you know, no one's really got the, the patience for you to start questioning, well, is this place okay? What's the curriculum? You know, so the forces, you know, are, are kind of against you there. But yeah, being transparent, also being very transparent about success rates. So, Places will um, not have proper uh, data collection. So that's a big problem, right? You know, and, and we are going through this in just the hospital system at large in the medical field. Uh, so I'd say that the same standard needs to be held there where, you know, we say, okay, this surgical center at the hospital, you know, what is the rate of success? The, you know, how many of these patients have to get readmitted after mm -hmm. they had a heart attack? Mm -hmm. Stuff like that. So we, you know, we've got that data in the medical field, we need to treat, you know, addiction more medically in that way. Um, yeah, there's a spirituality component and stuff like that. So there's, there's parts that aren't strictly medical. Sure. But as far as, you know, treating it professionally, and, you know, keeping legitimacy, you've got to be able to, to show data. So places will, will, for example, for every 100 that are discharged, you know, they'll, they'll get a hold of, you know, less than half of them. And then the ones who do answer the phone, 
you know, often don't want to go back. So they, they're asked on this follow-up, you know, are you sober now? And they just say yes and want to get off the phone or they're people pleasers and that part maybe wasn't ever addressed. And so right, they're yeah. still trying to please you. You know, you, they, they're so grateful for their time and they don't want to say, you know, that they're not doing well. So, you know, in medicine, that, that would absolutely never <laughs> go over. You know, we, we have peer reviewed journal articles, not just like white papers. And, you know, we, we study things rigorously and they're examined by medical boards, you know, the, the, whatever the surveys are going to be have to be approved and how it's collected. You don't just do it over the phone, you know, you would get drug tests and things like that, you know, to verify it. Um, but uh, so, so where, you know, where I'm going with this is that, you know, they'll claim a relapse rate of only whatever, let's say 5%, but, you know, in actuality, you know, it's, it's, it could be, you know, over 60%, over 80%. Mm. And you just don't know. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so yeah, better clarity upfront, better clarity on, you know, what the results are and what the actual modalities being used are. And then, you know, more individual attention. So, you know, yes, it's a good group model. Uh, I fully believe in the power of groups and I've incorporated that into self-recovery. Uh, groups, do a lot of things that that um, individual treatment cannot but you know to do you know 95 percent group when you're paying that kind of price to go in for that level of care uh, you know you should probably get a little more individual time you should be treated individually every day um, not not just briefly once a week so okay. the better treatment centers do do that um, but that's not most of them yeah hmm. All, all great points. And yeah, I, I think about that success rate a lot because I remember after I went to treatment, getting that phone call and thinking, you know, how many people just lie or, oh, or yeah. just don't answer the phone, you know? And, and so how, how accurate is this number that, um, you know, that this treatment center is, uh, or any treatment center is uh, putting out about their, you know, 80, 90, whatever, you know, high percent success rate. So those are, yeah. those are all great suggestions. Uh, Daniel, I want to ask before we wrap up, if maybe there's one piece of advice that you'd like to share with the sober nation, whether it's for someone that is uh, struggling, someone that's new in recovery, someone that's, you know, trying to find their way, or maybe someone that's been, you know, around for a while and, and just having a tough time. Yeah, I mean, maybe to just put a different spin on, you know, I, I feel like maybe we're talking about the bad parts of labeling, the bad parts of 12 steps, the bad parts of, of rehab. And um, I, I, I'm a very strong supporter of, of all those things, you know, when they're done, you know, with with good intentions and honestly and, you know, and, and done with good skill. So um, so I like all that. And, you know, I think the biggest message would be just no matter how you're trying to improve yourself that you cut through, you know, all the different labels, you cut through, you know, who's helping you or, you know, what, what that approach is. And, and that ultimately you should be, you know, very focused on taking care of what is actually causing your suffering. So really getting to the underlying nature of how you suffer. And if you do that, you're gonna always be spending your time and energy really well and really efficiently and get a huge amount of gain out of that. So, you know, not to get too caught up in that label, not to get too caught up with, you know, should I go to this person or that rehab or that organization, but, you know, just no matter what it is, if it's being done well, you should be getting to underlying issues. And you had mentioned earlier too, you know, there's a lot of bad therapists too. There's a lot of bad psychiatrists. Mm -hmm. So um, whatever it is, you know, and that, that you're doing, um, and even just self-help books, you know, what, whatever you're doing to try and improve yourself, make sure you are giving, you know, almost all of your attention on the underlying nature of your suffering. And, and if you do that, you're good. Wow, that's really great advice. So you can learn more about Daniel and the self-recovery program by visiting selfrecovery.org. Thanks again for coming on the show, Daniel. So happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
Be sure to check out the show notes for all the info from today's episode. Sober Nation FM is brought to you by Sobriety Engine. Sobriety Engine is a free online community of men and women supporting each other in their recovery. Visit sobrietyengine.com to join today. This show is also brought to you by Recover Health. If you're ready to get fit and start living a healthier lifestyle while supporting your sobriety, you can learn more about having me as your own personal fitness and nutrition coach at rcvrhealth.com. And again, whether you're listening to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or watching on YouTube, please share this with your friends, follow, subscribe, and leave us a review. Nation, thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you next time.